0: are listening to Captivate and Convert, the weekly podcast created to show you how to attract the people you actually want to work with and get paid to do what only you can do. I'm your host, Christy Sigelsky, and each week you can expect legit marketing tips, biz building strategies, and expert advice that'll help you ditch the grind and feel more aligned so you can captivate and convert your audience. If you're ready to grow your business without the struggle, you're in the right place. Hey there, welcome back to the show. I'm chatting with copywriter Amy Collins again this week. And if you tuned into our episode last week, you know that we talked about the psychology of why stories work and how to use them effectively in your sales copy. But as my conversation with Amy continued on the day that we recorded it, it really started to veer into how we can change those internal stories that aren't serving us in our businesses and our lives. So it was kind of like we covered two different, albeit related, topics. So I just decided to make two episodes out of that conversation to hopefully do justice to each of those topics. Now, in today's episode, Amy and I talk about where those internal stories come from, like how do they start? And we share some of the tools each of us have used to change them, like mindset work, meditation, and even microdosing. Check it out. So I want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, we've sort of been talking about the impact of stories from, I guess, kind of a client-centric perspective, meaning like how the stories we tell other people impact them and their decisions. but what about the impact of the stories we tell ourselves, especially as entrepreneurs? How does our internal narrative affect us and what we do?
1: Yeah, well, I think what we tell ourselves, every relationship we have, it affects the decisions we make. It affects what we do with our day. You know, there's this is not an original saying, but you are what you think. And in fact, I just Googled this recently. I think there are several books by that title, including one by Wayne. Dyer or Dwyer, D-Y-E-R, I'm not sure how to say it, but th- I mean, this is true. Like if you, if we're going through our day thinking, you know, I'm not ready for this client project, I'm not capable of pulling this off. Well, you're putting yourself in a position to maybe not pull it off, right? Because you've now taught your brain that this is what's real and we, we create our own reality. I mean, there are external factors, sure, but what we tell ourselves absolutely dictates the way we see the world, and creates a lens that everything we experience passes through that lens. Which can be, I mean, it's daunting, right? It's totally daunting, especially if it really you, is. Yeah, when you discover, like, oh wow, I've been telling myself really terrible stories for a really long time. How do we unwind that? How do we change that? And it's I mean, the short answer is it's a full-time job, right? And oh it, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> I think it he, feels like a full-time job. I will tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I think it is. And I think that never stops, but it, it's wor- a worthwhile pursuit. But yeah, I think the, just the, the stories we tell ourselves lays out how everything goes for us. Certainly our perspective on it, right? Like there's, I think it's a Buddhist saying that, or maybe it's stoicism. Stoic philosophy, the ancient Greek philosophy, which is it's not the external things that happen or the events that happen that affect us. It's our judgment of them. So right? It's like what how how are you gonna perceive it? You know, you can perceive being stuck in traffic as, oh my god, my day's going so terribly. I can't believe I I have to sit in this traffic or, oh my God, I'm so stupid. Why did I leave the house when I did? I should have known I'd be stuck in traffic. Or we can say, I am the traffic, which is reality, right? Like you are part of the traffic. It's not something that's happening to you, it's just something you're experiencing. And then now you've released any, you know, resentment or anger emotions, which makes room for a lot more good stuff, like creativity.
0: Yeah. So this, this brings up a really a good, a good point here for me or like it's getting my wheels turning on this. So I, I know I want to talk, we're talking about like actually changing this internal narrative, but while we're at it, <laughs> I want to know what your thoughts are on mindset work because my like alarm bells are dinging with this, with, with, with this conversation right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, do, I guess I do mindset work. I, I didn't really start calling it that. And so I got into, you know, deep into the copywriter industry. And that's something that comes up a lot is mindset, right? I think for me, I mean, like, are you wondering, like, what tricks I do to, like, keep that going or?
0: No, I want to know, like, so I guess what's coming up for me is like, yes, I'm fully on board with, you know, our thoughts create our reality and we have the opportunity to Decide, you know, what we are going to think and believe. However, I think sometimes it's not quite that simple and you can't always mindset work or positive think your way out of certain things. Like, you know, there's, I know for me, like there are certain situations and, you know, I'm, I'm working on this all the time, every day where there's literally like a body reaction and it doesn't matter what I'm trying to tell myself in my brain, <laughs> like that body reaction doesn't go away, you know, at least not immediately. And so it's like, it's almost like in that moment, there really is no choice because my body is remembering something or pulling from something that, you know, it's just, it's just visceral. Like I can't, I can't, you know, give myself an affirmation that changes it. And so I think. Sometimes the whole idea of like mindset work is, is an oversimplification.
1: 100%. I agree. It definitely gets simplified because we can even talk about, oh, just change your narrative, right? Just change that negative belief to a positive belief. Okay. How, right? How? And I personally, I don't think affirmations work. I'm not a big fan of affirmations. I do have a little mantra I say to myself from time to time, which I think works more so because it requires that I slow down and pay attention to what's happening in the moment. But yeah, those visceral reactions, whether it's, you know, anxiety attack, worst case scenario, panic attack, which I've never personally experienced, but I've definitely had anxiety attacks. And I've had those like body reactions where it is so intense that no, you can't, you can't change the narrative in the moment. You cannot you know, like you said, positive, talk your way out of it because your brain and body are reacting to something that may not actually be a threat, but there's that history there. And it, you know, it could be something from childhood, it could be whatever. And in the moment, all you can do is just breathe through it, right? And then try to pull it apart later. And for me, I think certain scenarios where certain triggers that, I was not able to really escape that just keep, kept coming up. I just did a ton of brain work post experience, just almost trying to convince myself that it's not a danger, just going super rational and pulling it apart. I don't know if that's, you know, the most effective method and it takes for what feels like forever, but it does work. It does work. Eventually you can change those neuro pathways, which is essentially what's going on, right? Neuropathways have been set in the brain. And so those neurons fire more easily than other neurons. And so what we have to do to really change those kind of narratives, and I think any narrative, is you have to change the neuropathways. You have to create new trails that are better trails, that are healthier trails. But I mean, those visceral reactions, that's hard stuff. And it, it takes a long time. And I do think it, you know, I mean, for me, talk therapy certainly helped just having that unbiased yet allied opinion to just kind of help ground me and also just figuring out a way to ground yourself so that you can get quiet and really hear like, okay, this is actually not a real threat. This is connected to something that happened 20 years ago. And I need to thank my brain. Thank you for protecting me. But actually, everything's okay. We're not in danger.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So good. So let's talk tools because I know you've mentioned a few that you've used and we have some of those things in common. So, so let's go there. What are some of the things that have helped you sort of be able to change around those stories, that internal narrative?
1: Yeah. So certainly, as I mentioned, talk therapy helps, especially when you start digging into like shadow work and old family patterns and beliefs that you've picked up from childhood that are just you know, you just hit a certain age and they just really are no longer working for you. So that certainly helps. Meditation, I'm a big fan of meditation, which I know a lot of people are afraid of.
0: What kind of meditation do you do?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say different kinds, right? Certainly sitting meditation primarily, also some walking meditation. I love to go sit by the river and watch the sunset. I consider that a meditation, but I have an app I use. I'm a big fan of Sam Harris's Waking Up app. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Oh, it's so good. So Sam Harris is a philosopher and author and neuroscientist who's also very interested in meditation. And he's been around for a while and written on many, many different topics. So he has this app and there's like a training session when you first jump on. I think it's 28 days that explains how to meditate and really why we meditate, right? Which the goal is not to be happy. It's not to be calmer. The goal is just to become more aware of our experience in the moment, right? So if you're someone who feels like you're angry a lot, but you're getting caught up in the emotion and you just feel like you're kind of thrashing around during the day, it's going to be impossible for you to change that behavior because you're almost not aware of it happening, right? You're like the emotion is owning you. So what meditation really teaches us to do is to like slow down. And become more aware of those emotions in the moment. So maybe it goes from being mad all day and then you see gradual progress like, oh, I was only mad for half the day or I was only mad for an hour. And then I became aware of what I was, what I was experiencing and I was able to like just take a break and pull it apart and then change the experience to something more positive and something more helpful, right? Because let's face it, being mad all day is not really helpful. (laughs) So I do love that app. And he has like lots of conversations in there and different, there's different pathways and it's all very philosophical. And some of it's very high level Buddhist meditation, which it's it's over my head, but I like it because I like hearing about, you know, how other people experience negative emotions, right? Because that's universal. We all experience that. So to hear about how, you know, other ways to kind of deal with that and just be like, oh, this is just part of the experience. I don't have to identify with this. I don't have to like become, I'm not an angry person. I'm just a person who experiences anger. That right away alone, you just completely changed your narrative, right? And it, it's, so,
0: it's so interesting how I've certainly been learning and understanding lately that I always thought that I allowed my emotions, but I really came to realize that I just, I really didn't. And that, and that made them stick around for that much longer. Like, you know, just not, not acknowledging or giving myself the, the opportunity or the time to cry or to, you know, to feel angry about something just made it linger. And I, I was like, you know, how, how did I miss this? <laughs> how did I miss this all these years? You know?
1: Yeah. No, I had that experience as well. And I think I would just probably was just stuffing feelings, right? Because you know, I mean, I don't know anything about your background, so I won't, you know, make assumptions, but most of us, we grow up and we're not really allowed to maybe express ourselves fully or to feel full emotions or to show up completely. I mean, as children, right? And so that teaches us that it's inappropriate to feel those things or to show those things. And then, again, like I said, I think you get to a certain point in life when you just become emotionally burnt out and you can't, you can't keep stuffing your feelings or or it comes out sideways, you know, and it's like, oh, look, I'm an alcoholic now. I mean, you know, extreme examples. And then once you do start feeling them, it's like, yeah, I mean, I cry about everything now. And it's not even, you know, sadness or grief. Sometimes it's just I just feel something so intensely. It's like, OK, well, we're going to do this now. That's fine. Next.
0: Yeah. I, I have been having that happen. Like, literally, I have cried more in the last I don't know, two or three weeks than I think I have in the last 20 years. Honestly, like at the drop of a hat, I'm crying and I'm like, this is so weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely disconcerting at first, but it
0: is, but it feels so good after. I'm like, great. Like what, what was I, what was I afraid of? You know,
1: right? Exactly.
0: All right. Let's talk about psychedelics and microdosing.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's that's go right. there. My other tools. So. Another thing that I, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not like a regular user, but I certainly have on my journey of, I mean, I've changed my personality, right? In the last year and a half. And one tool I use to really help change those narratives were psychedelic experiences. So have, is
0: this only microdosing or like full on, I don't even know what you call it. What do you call it?
1: Yeah, macro dosing, some people call it. Yeah, but a full, a full experience. So I've done it with a few different compounds and I would not recommend to anyone doing it the Amy Collins way. I was perhaps a little reckless on some occasions. I did not do it with a psychedelic therapist, although I think if you're curious and you really want to do this kind of work, there are a lot of good people doing good work and, and laws are starting to change. We've already seen Oregon passed a law to make psilocybin therapy legal. So probably by next year, yeah, probably by next year, you'll see a lot of professional practices opening up where people are can help people with, you know, psilocybin is the active psychedelic compound in magic mushrooms, right? So working with therapists and patients doing that legally. MDMA is probably not too far behind. It's on the fast track for FDA to approve it which works a bit differently. It's a different compound, of course. And it's used primarily with post-traumatic stress, trauma issues. Although I think it's also, there's research done with addictive addiction issues, various compounds, eating disorders. I'm pretty sure there's been research done on all those things. Anyway, for me, like, and this is not my original metaphor, I'm borrowing it from a friend. So going back to talking about the neural pathways in our brain and how it makes, we make these connections. So when you go on a mushroom trip, right? When you take like a, a dose that's gonna, you know, change your perception of things as opposed to a microdose, it's kind of like a fresh coat of snow on the ground, right? And everything's just very clean and you get to make a new track, make a brand new trail through the snow. As opposed to following those old tracks, those old trails, those old beliefs that are no longer working. So it's a little bit of a shortcut. And I've heard some people call it out as cheating. You do cheating. Yeah. Because it's like, it can be kind of a shortcut. I mean, talk therapy can take years to have breakthroughs, right? Where you realize like, Oh my God, I've been following this pattern. I've been believing this thing. That's just not true. Right. And it's not helpful. Whereas a psychedelic experience just, it just opens consciousness up to a broader space where it allows in just a little bit more, you know, realization really. I mean, the trick is though, is you have to then integrate it into your life. If you just kind of have this experience and you're like, wow, man, that was really mind blowing. And like I, I had this like hallucination that I was, you know, just really this awesome person and I was doing awesome stuff. Like, cool. But how do you translate that into your life? How do you integrate that into going from being, you know, a hands-on-mouth freelancer to a booked out business owner, right? I mean, to bring that back to mindset and like building a business and running a business, you have to believe you can do it in order to do it, right? If you don't believe you can do it, then you're, you're going to really struggle to succeed. So That for me is where that experience had really had big breakthroughs, but I also was working on the integration stuff, which my therapist is not an integration therapist, but, you know, I could come back with, hey, I had this insight and she was like, cool, you know, what, what else does that mean? How do we, you know, she like really helps me with that part, which I think is very, very important, but microdosing too, which is a little different. And I think you have some experience with that. Yes,
0: I am currently in my second, I don't even know what you call it, second course of microdosing. I did for 10 weeks. I I work with an integration coach. Actually, I have a coming out, I think next, well, it doesn't matter at the time of this recording because it's going to be delayed. But anyway, theres I, I dedicated two whole podcast episodes to it with Kathleen O is the coach I'm working with and yeah, it's it's been interesting. I can't say that, you know, it's it was like the light switch that maybe I had hoped it would be. I've never done like a full dose experience or anything like that. I don't know. I, I think I still have a lot of fear around that. And of course, like I've I've done all the research and, you know, I I I get how, you know, life changing it can be. So so who knows? But I do, I you know, I have been microdosing, and and I've noticed like these these sort of small incremental changes, and it's really kind of it's actually pretty amazing. Like I'm I'm noticing, I feel like I'm just a so much more aware of things. Like I'm appreciating things more, like even stupid things. Like when I go outside and walk with my dogs, like I'm I'm just in awe of you know where I live and. It's, it's made me appreciate relationships more and really like open up to the importance of, you know, what I can offer to each individual person in my life. You know, whereas before I was always like looking for the sort of the, what's the big thing that I'm here to do? How, you know, how am I, how am I going to impact the world? And not that there's anything wrong with that or that I don't want to do that too, but I think it's made me sort of look at my life on the micro level too. And, and, you know, how those small relationships and interactions and all of that sort of, you know, roll out to the rest of my life and the rest of the world. I don't know if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. You're doing psilocybin, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's the protocol you're following?
0: I do three days, three days on and four days off.
1: Okay. So you take it for three days and then you take four days off. Yeah. Cool. So I've done the James Fadiman method, which he is a researcher at Johns Hopkins and I've forgotten the full name of the research institute there, but they've been doing psilocybin and other compounds research for decades. And so that, that regimen is you take usually a tenth or a twentieth of a gram every third day, right? So I would take it on Monday and then I would take it again on Thursday. I think, or Wednesday. Now I've forgotten. Anyway, I did an experiment in January of this year with 14 other people, or I participated rather in this ex- experiment. And it was really fun because most of the participants were over 60 and several of them were over 70. And we all, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. And we all followed the same regimen and everyone took detailed notes of their experience. And everyone had pretty similar experiences to what you just were talking about, some of them had reduced joint pain. Some of them had better memory recall, just overall, like more energy. And, you know, I think that, you know, so the psilocybin actually produces serotonin. So I think that has, you know, a great effect, right? To just like overall well-being and just feeling a little bit better and giving us the opportunity to like slow down and just notice the little things in life which when we talk about gratitude right like and i think that's probably part of mindset work right slowing down and just appreciating what you have it's it's the little things we're grateful for that make the biggest difference right yes 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 yeah
0: i think too i've noticed that well i mean a lot a lot of things have come up like i've sort of remembered you know part of the reason that i'm doing this and and i mentioned it in the in the podcast that i Dedicate to microdosing is is to you know sort of work through childhood trauma and you know cer- certainly things have come up right like memories have come up feelings have come up and I will say that I think the microdosing is sort of helping me be able to work through those things without I, I don't know how how to how to even describe it without the. I guess the the typical thing that would happen is, is I would remember something, you know, or I would think about something that happened and immediately, like, I would shut it down. I would, shut, you know, shut the emotion down. Like, I don't have time for this right now. And now it's like, it sort of has given me the tool to allow it, you know, to happen and like get through it without trying to suppress it or feel like, um, oh, I just, I can't, I can't handle this right now. You know, I don't have time for this right now. It just, it just sort of, it's like a very natural flowing thing. And I don't know, it's just, it gives me a different perspective, I think, than I, than I had before. I'm sort of able to look at, you know, the past from different angles. And I I think too, that it's definitely contributed to my ability to sort of play a little bit more in my business and not not be so worried about, you know, how is this going to look? How is this going to seem? Is it going to be professional? You know, I really don't care. (laughs) I'm like, I'm here, whatever happens, happens. It's like, I know that in the end, everything will be okay. So I'm just like, ready to follow sort of the, you know, the next step, wherever that takes me.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I love that for you. That's awesome. I definitely experienced an increase in creativity when I was microdosing. And I now wish I had gone back to look at my notes before I jumped on this call. I'm assuming I still have them. For me, the, the macrodosing, the full on trip experiences have been more needle moving, but which makes sense. And I understand the, the fear and there's a lot of, you know, cultural, you know, stigma against it. And it's your ego again, trying to protect you, right? Like you're talking about before, like a feeling would come up about maybe something from the past and you're just like, Oh, I can't deal with this right now. I mean, that's your ego trying to protect you. And the microdosing is helping your ego to kind of chill out, right? Because, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this before, like you can't heal without the feel or without feeling or however that saying goes, right? Like you can't fully heal a wound until you're prepared to fully it in the wound and feel all that awful stuff that's so uncomfortable and feel so debilitating. But it's the only way through it if you truly want to get over it. I think my one of my biggest breakthroughs in the last year on compounds when I used MDMA, and again, I do not recommend the Amy Collins method because I took a lot more than I needed to and I just did it alone in my apartment. But I set an intention. I know I'm sometimes I'm reckless or brave, depending on how you look at it, but I set a very clear intention and which worked. And then one of the things that I came to the next day was, Oh, I've actually been fighting my ego, right? I've been talking about ego death and wanting to just eradicate it because the ego is causing all these problems. And actually the ego is just there to protect us. That's, that's. The sole job. It's a bit primitive for the culture and the, you know, where we live now. I think our external worlds have evolved much more quickly than our brain. But when I realized like, oh, if I just work with the ego, I can get a lot further. I can make a lot more progress in terms of having good thoughts and skillful thoughts and actually obtaining the thing that I really want in life. Because all those old bad stories are just, they were holding me back, you know? And I think most of us experience that on some level. So I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome that the microdosing is working for you and helping your ego to just kind of be like, cool. Yeah, let's explore that. I mean, I literally made a pact with the committee members of my brain. I was like, how about you guys just go on a sabbatical, right? Like no one's fired. Everyone's doing a great job. I appreciate your showing up. No one's fired, but let's just take a break. And I gave everyone a hobby that they were really good at. And I was like, can we just agree to just try this new system and see how it works? And they were like, yeah, okay, let's try it. And every once in a while, I have to remind them, right? And just be like, how's your hobby going? You know? It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's worked. It's really, it's really been helpful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. Are you ready for the Christy questions?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: So we're talking about stories. What's the most challenging personal story that you've had to work to change?
1: Okay, that's actually a very personal question. (laughs) I love it. Probably just that I'm worthy of love, right? I mean, I think that's pretty basic and it's totally irrational. Most of us can probably, you know, if we were really pressed, we could name three to five people who we know love us and they're probably family members. And we might even have complicated relationships or dynamics with those family members, but like knowing a thing rationally and then believing it with your whole body are two different journeys. So that's probably been, you know, the hardest one, just in general being loved, but like also being included or being valued. Right. I mean, it's all variations of the theme.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's so common. And I think it's really interesting. Like what I've noticed. I don't know over the last couple of years is that we all so many of us you know sort of struggle with that in different iterations like you know being enough or feeling worthy and it's it's interesting that we all can relate to it but for very different reasons you know what i mean like for 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 some of us i mean and it, i guess it goes back to story it's like it it's all like what you give meaning to so You know, my stories of why I don't feel worthy or worthy of love are different than yours, I'm sure. But it's like at the core, it's like the same, we have this same story. Am I being too out there?
1: No, no, no. I think that makes perfect sense. And if we want to break it down to like science and lizard brain stuff is we're supposed to be in a tribe. We're supposed to be in a group. The group protects us. The group keeps us safe. But the way society has evolved is that's not realistic and it's not the reality, right? Most of us don't even live in the same town that our family lives in or parts of our family. So the brain is constantly, our ego is constantly telling us that we need to belong and we need to fit in. And so I think as a side effect of that, of also like going out to the world and pursuing other things is that sense of not belonging and not fitting in and not being loved. And, you know, feelings aren't facts, right? So But I think, you know, for me, touching back on tools, too, like when I experienced those feelings, just going back to like thanking the ego. Thank you so much for showing up today and looking out for me. But we're good. We're super okay.
0: That reminds me so much of the internal family systems work that I've done in therapy. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. When it first was introduced to me, I was like, oh, this is weird. I'm not going to talk to like different parts of my brain. <laughs> but it's like it makes so much sense and it and it's so true. It's like all of these things, if you peel it back, if you peel back the layers, it's really just all about keeping you safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I highly encourage you to give them all names and hobbies. It has been game-changing for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. I love it. All right, I want to talk about age for a second because I I think actually you I thought we were about the same age, but you're actually a little bit younger than me. I'm 49. Okay, I'm and 45. I know that the weight of that is is present for me like literally every single day, especially yeah. in the last year. I don't know, I don't know what's going on, but it's it's there all the time. So I'm curious, how do you feel about your age and like has it changed anything for you? in, I don't know, in what you're doing or your thoughts around, you know, what you're here for, any of that?
1: Yeah, it's age is such a funny thing. I turned 45 in May of this year. And when I well, did, I my birthday's I, in May too. Oh, what day? 29th. Okay, I'm 14. So you're- Are you you're, a Gemini? No, I'm a Taurus. I'm very much oh, okay. a Taurus. But I think I have a Mercury in Gemini. I know most of my charts. Anyway, yeah, so when I, my birthday came up, I was like, I wouldn't even say the number. I was just like, I'm going to be 50 in five years. And then, and then I had a friend turn 50 and I was like, well, that feels unfair to say that because I'm seeing what kind of what she's going through and actually turning 50. And there have definitely been times when I've tried to blame all the shadow work and emotional work and the breakdowns that I was going through on paramenopause. So my doctor's like, yeah, sorry, you're not there yet. It's not hormones. So all that said, like, I don't have children, right? So there's, and you have, I think you have two kids. They're older, they're grown up. Yeah. Wow. So that, I mean, that's what presents a whole other, like, life change, life shift, right? But, so I think, I don't know, I think in many ways, like, I'm still a kid, right? Like, I still have a tremendous amount of freedom. I have the freedom to go play around doing stand-up comedy or doing improv comedy, you know? And, that keep the playfulness i think everyone can have but i don't know i mean i guess i don't think about age too much although i do say it a lot so i probably think about it more than i do and now you've given me something to discuss with my therapist next week thank you <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah
0: i don't i don't know i i mean honestly i don't know if if having kids you know makes me feel differently about it I don't know. I mean, I know some people, for some people, it's, it's not an issue and they don't, you know, they don't worry about it. I, I can't say I'm particularly worried about it, but I think, I don't know if it's so much my age. I guess now that, now that you, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, like with being a mom, I don't know if it's so much my age, but the fact that I'm seeing my kids at a place in their lives where I don't feel that far from, you know, like I still feel like, I'm in my 20s or you know like I've just started my life. I don't feel any I don't know. I I don't feel grown up, I guess, quote unquote grown up. So it's really hard for me to to realize like okay, I I probably have fewer years ahead of me than I have behind me at this point. And like that's some scary ass like, I'm like what, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I being who I'm supposed to be being? And, you know, can't we move this on a little bit faster? Because time's ticking here. You know what I mean? Like, literally every day, I have some inkling of that. And I don't know, it just sucks. It really sucks, to be honest.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have that. And I think that's probably unusual. And I don't know why I have thought about this. Like, why am I not I mean, when I think about I'm probably closer to death than I am to life, I'm kind of like, oh, thank God, a respite, you know, because being human is f***ing hard. (laughs) But, (laughs) but I, yeah, and like, I don't know, I do feel like I've accomplished quite a bit in my life. So if I went today, which is an entire possibility, there's no guarantee, right? You know, I feel pretty good about the things I've accomplished. There's still a lot more I want to accomplish. So I don't, I don't know. And like the aging part, I don't feel that. I think a lot of women really feel the pressure of that in terms of like, look that I've never, I'm just kind of, I'm a lazy woman when it comes to like, you know, presentation. I don't, I've never really cared about that too much. So I don't, I don't know. I'm still pretty physically capable, although I'm definitely slower than I used to be, but I don't know. I think, I think more about my mind and what my mind is doing. Yeah, And it's in, a better place than I was in my 20s. I mean, my goodness. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. That's a really good way to look at it, I think.
1: Yeah. And I I think that the progress of things, maybe that's like pretty natural. Like you hear people say all the time, like, oh, I hit 40 and I stopped caring what people think. And I used to think that looking forward to 40 and then I got to 44 and I'm like, why am I still crippled by other people's opinions, you know? And it's like, oh, well, you actually have to do some work. It's not like a magic thing that people just hand you. Congratulations, you made it. You are now, you know, elevated. You are evolved. And you have to actually do work. But yeah, I don't know. There's definitely some complacency which not complacency, that's not the right word, but, or apathy is not the right word either. Although sometimes I wonder like, am I truly evolved here or am I just, have I just given up? Because I really find myself, Caring less what people think, which is a goal, right? I mean, and it's necessary to be creative and to be an artist. You really have to not care. Definitely. I feel
0: like I'm finally getting there. Like I I realized the other day when, when I was, I was talking about microdosing with somebody else and it's not a hundred percent for sure. Like I'm not going to say, Oh, I've arrived here, but I definitely more and more like I see myself doing these things that I wouldn't have done. Even a year ago or two years ago or set like things that I've said, just, you know, kind of honoring my position about things and not worrying too much about how it's going to come off or, you know, how's this person going to take it? How does that sound? Like I'm just, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And it's like, it feels really good because just like you, like I was waiting when, when I, everybody said you turn 40 and you're going to, you know, you're going to be this whole new version of yourself. You're not going to care what anybody thinks and you're going to, you know, find your place in the world. And I was like, I'm really slow, apparently, because is not happening for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm super late bloomer and like most things in life. Like I wasn't even potty trained till I was 10. Yeah. I'm joking. That's not quite true, but I was, I did apparently take my time. So I don't know. I think we're right on time, Christy. I think you're right on your schedule and I'm right on my schedule.
0: <laughs> well, it's the only schedule we got, I suppose. So <laughs> exactly. It's what it is.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: This has been so fun, Amy. Where can people find you? Oh, and tell tell everybody about your newsletter. I know you talked a little bit about it a little while ago, but it's hilarious. And I love that you're doing something that is, you know, just kind of totally out of the box, a little different than the usual.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's called Rude But Charming. I love, love, love that. It's how some of my close friends refer to me. That's how they see me. So I just decided to own it. You can find it on my website, which is com, And you'll see a sign up that just, or a tag that says rude, but charming. It's, you know, short true stories about my life and they're, have a pretty philosophical bent, which you could probably guess at if you, if you made it this far in the episode <laughs> and funny. And you know, there's not like, it's not tips on writing. It's not tips on marketing or business. It's more philosophical mindset kind of approaches to it with anecdotes. If you're interested in learning how to write better stories, I call it learning by osmosis. But if you just want to be entertained, you know, I would love to have you. So grab a cup of coffee and every Friday, most Fridays, it comes out.
0: Yeah, it's really a fun read.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's a lot of fun to write most days. Some days it's like, oh, my God, I have nothing to say. Oh, my God, I feel like
0: that all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Usually, the how long
0: does it take present. you? I I have to know how long does it take you because I feel like I spend an absurd amount of time writing my newsletters. Like absurd. It should be something that takes me twenty minutes,
1: and it takes me hours. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say drop the should, Christy, because we're all on our own schedule. It usually takes me within an hour. Maybe it depends. I usually get the idea of it and you know and since I'm typically not selling anything it's just it's a gift right here's a gift of a story and so it'll kind of start writing itself in my brain and then I sit down and type it out and I don't do a whole lot of editing and I usually write it on Friday the same day I send it out which doesn't allow me a lot of time to pick over it which I think is the secret to shipping. And the secrets and not spending lots of hours on it for me anyway. Occasionally I'll start one on a Tuesday or Wednesday and then finish it on Friday. So, yeah, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's an hour, but it's yeah. usually pretty quick.
0: I think my part of my problem is like I, I sit there and I try to, I'm, I'm so trying to get out of this habit. I still cannot just write and then edit later. I'm like, it's got to be perfect in this one sitting. So I find that I actually do better when I do start it, you know, say the day before and then like leave it in a draft and then go back to it and kind of finish it up and change things a little bit. But I don't know, like I need I need to get better at free writing, I think.
1: Yeah, I'll do that sometimes too. I'll write it, I'll try to write it sooner and then edit the day of but i tend to edit as i write i also have been writing for decades this kind of stuff so it the the muscle will it's pretty strong yeah it's tough it's tough it just takes a while you just have to keep doing it i think is yeah Practice, the only way right? yeah
0: well i will make sure that i link to your website in the show notes so people can find you and sign up for your newsletter thank you so much for being here
1: Oh, thank you too, Christy. And if it's all right, I'd love to say that people can also find me on Instagram at the real underscore Amy Collins, which there's a lot of comedy on there too. Like I make videos and stuff in addition to whatever I'm posting about.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I'll link to that too.
1: Thank you so much, Christy. This has been really, really fun.
0: It was so fun. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to support the podcast by leaving a five-star review and subscribing and sharing it with your biz besties. Your ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners who want to leave hustle mode behind and grow their businesses with ease. And don't forget to post a screenshot of this episode on your IG stories and tag me at Christy Sigelski so I can repost you. If you want to take the guesswork out of what to say in your emails and how to say it in a way that resonates with the people you actually want to work with, you need to grab my brand new freebie. Now, you've probably heard me say this at least a hundred times, but connection is what leads to conversions and making your subscribers feel seen and heard is the key to making that connection and building the relationship. So I put together a sweet little guide for you that breaks down my connect- Captivate and Convert Framework, which teaches you how to become biz besties with your subscribers, and gives you the goods on converting them to clients organically. Now, because I know the next logical question is probably what should I write about in my emails? There's a bonus section with a list of newsletter ideas. that's going to give you swipeable email content for months. This is honestly the most value packed freebie I've ever created. And I really can't wait for you to get your hands on it. So if you're ready to write emails that sell without all the bro marketing mayhem, go grab the free guide, how to write emails that sell plus 20 must read newsletter ideas at the link in the show notes.